everyone. Today I have the pleasure of talking to Janie Jordan of the Scone Literary Festival in New South Wales. Uh, Janie is talking to me as part of our series that is designed to inspire you with conversations with skilled and experienced event organisers and committees across regional and rural Australia that are doing great things. These conversations are designed to get you thinking, how can I do better? How do others do it? And are there easier ways for me to do things? Enjoy this great inspiration from Janie. Hi there, Janie. Thanks for joining us. Can we just make a start by just giving you a moment to introduce yourself and the great event that you work on? Hi, Linda. Great to be with you. I feel very honoured and privileged to be with you as president of the Scone Literary Festival. And Scone is the horse capital of Australia, but we could equally be called the literary capital of Australia, such is the rich literary heritage of the Upper Hunter. Apart from Patrick White, Australia's only Nobel laureate for literature to date, We've had Judith Wright, who was nominated for a Nobel Prize for Literature, Donald Horne, and a host of other writers and literary figures have come from the Upper Hunter. So it's a pretty special place if you're interested in literature of all kinds. (laughs) Sounds fantastic. Now, Janie, I want you to think back a little And I want you to share with our listeners some tips. So this is really about your learnings through your journey in the events industry. So if you could give your first year event organiser self just three tips to make your life easier now, what would they be? Oh, you know, Lindra, I've been around this. I've been around this one a few times. So my, I, I'm going to speak to that question in a couple of ways. So if I go back to my early days in public relations and marketing, indeed, when I was working in a house in a big agribusiness organisation, I was always running events. And for me, back then, if I was to go back and give my 20-year-old self or my 30-year-old self some tips, I'd say, and I still use it today, there is nothing like having a checklist and, you know, of what has to be done to make an event work. And it's, as I always say now, fast-forwarding to the consultancy work that I do in communication leadership, leadership, it's all about them. If someone had said back to me, it's all about them. Whatever you are planning, you've got to do it from the shoes of your audience. So checklist, checklist, checklist is absolutely number one. You can't do anything in life without a checklist in events. Second is, and probably number one anyway, Linda, knowing having done the Regional Events Academy with you, that it is <laughs> all, yeah, it's all about them. So it, that sometimes is, it, I don't know, it's like a light bulb moment for people to actually step back and go, oh, it's about them. Who's them? Who is your them? Uh, so I think, and more recently, I think having a structure that allows for a tight little committee 
that really get on well together, might be diverse backgrounds, but you actually put in lots of subcommittees. There are lots or have little bands of volunteers who go put up their hand because they love organising food, for example, or, you know, they just want to post on Facebook for you. It's really important to do that and more and more and more I say that because time is precious for people. COVID has taught us that we can work from anywhere, so Zoom is great, I think, as a tool. And people don't, some people just don't like going to committees. They just, the thought of it, I had a conversation this morning with one of the, I suppose I'd call her the a mother. She's one of the parents of the Scone Literary Festival that celebrates 10 years next year. And she said, oh, Janie, I just can't get into night meetings. I don't like driving at night. And I said, Paula, I'd love to have you back involved again. Look, you just take on one task. Tell me what you'd like to do. You don't ever have to come to a meeting. And she went, oh, I could do that. So that's my third tip is never underestimate that people want to help and they believe in you, but they might hate committees. So give them a role that they want to do. I love it. I love all three of those. I'm sitting here with a big smile on my face going, oh, my God, she's just nailed it. And I love I love how you say the shoes of the audience. And I, it makes me go back to this great conversation I had with the ex-CEO of the Calgary Stampede in Canada. And this was only a couple of years ago. And I always share this with people. He talks a lot about how he would always put himself in his attendees' shoes, but he actually has this in his office, and this is how he described it to me. He said, in my office, I actually have a separate chair, and if I have to make a big decision on the event or there's something that's kind of, you know, being debated and going round and round, he said, what I would often do is I would take myself away from my computer and my office space or my desk space, and I would go and sit in this other chair. And that was my signal to actually put myself in Mm. my ideal attendee's Mm. persona. Yeah. You know, and I just love that, that idea of actually physically moving out of the environment that you're in and really saying, what impact would this have on my audience? How would my audience react to this? What is best for my audience? And I just think that's gold because you're absolutely right. And, and we see it a lot is, we get so busy in events that sometimes we forget who we're actually doing it for. <laughs> That's right. Isn't it, and, you know, it can be an ego trip for some people, as no doubt we have, you and I have seen over our experience in event management. And I love that idea of the other chair and the other perspective. Now, yeah. it reminds me of the coaching that I always do for and I you know, have done a lot of media coaching for people for high-stakes media interviews, Linda, and so my advice is the same because if you're sitting in your chair in your office, you're in your busyness chair. You're doing business Absolutely. in the mm. chair. You may have had, you might have walked in from a, a heavy board meeting and, you, you know, you've had an argument with somebody. You might be doing budgets. There is no way that you can get yourselves into the shoes of the audience who is going to be listening to that media review or indeed attending your event. So I always say mm. even, even if you've only got 10 seconds to put that person on hold, walk around to the other side of your desk, take three big deep breaths and stand up you know, and breathe. Or uh, so that you, you know, that 
taking a different perspective and imagining. I remember someone, one of my mentors many years ago said, Janie, have a smiley face or get a picture of your ideal customer and put it in front of you and talk to that person and imagine how they might react. And I also have known, and I have done this in the past because I'm an able-bodied person, but the, you know, accessibility and and being very, very inclusive, which is at the Scone Literary Festival, is really, really important to us. So I have in the past got in a wheelchair. And oh, wow. Yeah, and yeah. that was for a particular project back in my PR and marketing days. But I did. I put myself in a wheelchair and went, wow, this is an interesting experience. Mm, mm, and, wow. You know, and so, yes, and we've also a few years ago when, when I t- took on the presidency on a temporary basis, <laughs> that's a whole different story, we actually had requests from a visually impaired a, a woman from Brisbane who travelled all the way to Scone and she needed a carer with her and special listening equipment, which we were able to hook up to our sound people. And... We had to pay a bit extra for that, but we went over and beyond because we wanted to be very inclusive and for her to have a really, really good experience in a regional community. She was coming from a major city, coming close to come to the Upper Hunter. So, of course, we were going to accommodate her in every way we could. So I always think got to do what it takes to walk in the shoes of your customer and, and and I love the the Calgary Stampede yeah. example. That's absolutely fantastic. And it's just sometimes people they don't you you just make so many assumptions, don't we? We know what assumptions we are. Do. Right? You know they make a total ass out of us. You know totally. So you know I always say I always ask questions. Why? What is the assumption? That's an assumption we're making here. Mm. And if we just go by assumptions, and I still stuff up. We made an assumption. A couple of weeks ago, when we hosted the Patrick Wright Oration with Penn, with Wendy McCarthy, I'd had a pretty traumatic few weeks, and I someone else was doing all the organising. And I get to the event on the afternoon, having been bitten, attacked, bitten by a dog that morning, I might add. But you know, the performer shows up, and I discovered that there was only a handheld mic, and Wendy's delivering an oration with a handheld mic, and there was absolutely nothing. We could do it at that last moment. So it's mm. back to the checklist. Even yeah. though, you know, you might provide your volunteer with a checklist. Are they using it? Sometimes they don't. It's mm. <laughs> so it's always that Love constant it. reminder, isn't it, Linda? That it is. you know, to all the event organizers listening to this podcast is that you've got to have a plan A, B, and C. Yeah. So many great tips in there, Janie. Fantastic. Now, my next question for you, we know events are intensive. They seem never-ending. They can be quite overwhelming. Um, You know, you feel like that checklist just goes on forever at times. (laughs) Um, But what I'm really interested to know from lots of different events, what they're doing to save time. You know, so what are some of the things that you do in the background that saves time and energy? You know, things like... I think today we've got so much technology, you know, so, you know, automating things and, you know, using software. It it could even just be, you know, being organised, systems, processes. Tell us a little bit about a couple of the key things that you use. 
yeah, to save well, time and energy? Yeah, so there is, well, I'm just going to start at a sort of a marketing one for a minute. It's like MailChimp. You know, the MailChimp, you know, you can have free MailChimp for quite a long time and they also have a not-for-profit, you know, or e- any email marketing system. I just We just happen to use MailChimp. And you can set up templates in there and you can load up all your pictures and all your logos and anything you might want to use in your email marketing campaigns in a content studio. So there are that's just one, you know, from an email. You can, you know, get a lot of things in one place there. I think it's also incredibly important to have some sort of shared space. And what I mean by that, I mean something like Dropbox or Google Docs yeah. or OneDrive. Mm. I mean, I mean, there are lots of other systems. I happen to like Trello, but I've had some um, challenges with some of my my lovely committee with using Trello. Uh, mm. So I think it's the tips for, you know, any startup festivals out there is that, you know, find a system that's going to be easy for your volunteers if you're running off a volunteer base, which a lot of regional event people would be, that they feel like if they're used to Google or Word, they'll probably feel comfortable Google Docs. But you can also save if you've got Office 365, which we do to have professional emails and be able to organise that side of it. Um, you can save to OneDrive, which means you can access files anywhere, anytime. So OneNote is a simple way if you have Office 365, which isn't very expensive at all. We pay that quarterly. And I think also what's incredibly important is that you, after every event, is using your ticketing systems to get out feedback forms and they all have they if you use your systems and and properly they'll always help you get you know you can automate that as well into getting and we know how important feedback is for debriefings and planning the next one is to get our surveys back so there's a lot of tools out there that are very simple to use and if you do feel a little bit afraid I've found from the ticketing companies that they now, it's competitive, so they, their customer service is pretty good these days and they will assign someone to you, a human, a real human, and if they, you don't have a real human, then I suggest you look around for a real human in your ticketing services and they will support you setting up all sorts of things that make that side of event organising way more practical. So that's just some of the things that I think yeah, great. You know, work today and we work with and we've had smooth we've changed our ticketing over to a new a new platform and we've been absolutely thrilled and it's simple and easy to use and it's all order there's so much automation there Mm. makes the job a lot more efficient a lot easier yeah and I think sometimes we feel like we need more volunteers we need more people and look absolutely that is often the case Uh, but I think when we can look at how we can use technology to do things like automation and just to Mm. improve productivity and efficiency. Mm. I think Mm. that's something that a lot of events just need to look really closely at. Um, Might take a little bit of time and energy in the setup stages, but yeah, as you know, then once you've got that working for you, it saves so much time. Oh, yes. And look, Zoom meetings are a bonus too. I mean, you know, Mm. we're talking to regional event 
organisers here. And we're all scattered. I mean, you know, I'm here in yeah. the Hunter. Scone is a half an hour drive for me, so it's a one-hour round trip. I typically, if I'm going in, I am the president right now, so I feel like I really need to be. But that we've had plenty of meetings. We've just all, all seven of us have just jumped on all five or whatever mm. it is that for the, on Zoom. And, mm. you know, it's been very efficient. We've shared things and we've been in chat and so you can be very efficient with technology and it mm. look weird. Let's face it, uh, unless you're embracing the digital world, you're going to be finding life really tough, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And what about, Janie, your team? You know, because events do require a team and I know yeah. these days that team um, can be so much more flexible and agile than perhaps we used to be. But how do you... I'm really keen to understand how you keep them energised and engaged, you know, because events yeah. are a lot of work. You know, it can be stressful at times. We can't deny that. What do you do as the president to keep your team really energised and engaged and wanting to keep going? There's a couple of things. I mean, I think that's a really, I have no, there's no magic here. I mean, yeah. a lot of it is, you know, common sense and being, focused on your people, even if it's a volunteer committee, you know, remembering birthdays, milestones. Mm. For example, we have a young uh, accountant as our treasurer at the moment. I mean, she's a superstar in the making. She's And she was sweating over her final exams, which she's just passed. And it was about, you know, doing a shout-out to her and saying, yay, you've got there, you know. Oh, I you love know, the, that. The odd little after, um, sometimes we just have a little Prosecco at the end of a meeting after a big event or something and toast mm. ourselves and make ourselves feel better. But actually the biggest success, Linda, that we've had with our team is actually around our strategic planning. We always, every year, after our major festival, which is in the second weekend of March or our major event like the Patrick White Oration, we have a debrief, but we always get together somewhere outside. Well, I've had it at my home. We've had it at, at a gorgeous retreat where we have an independent facilitator, really, really important, and we brainstorm, we make it fun. There's always a bit of a game involved in some aspect of it. People laugh, you know, they get smart. It's a great idea that we make our strategic planning that I remember the first one we did and our fabulous secretary and public officer looked at me and said, I hate them, I hate them. And I went, we'll make it fun. I promise you it'll be fun, Kate. It will be. And so, I, <laughs> of course, we went over the top. I did. Uh, the facilitator and I went over the top to make sure that it was fun. And she, I think I, we gave her a very different experience <laughs> of strategic planning. So that's what we do. It's about recognising we're all human beings and we all like to be recognised and noticed. Yeah. Uh, and I just send out a major beat after every event. I always spend, you know, take time to send out, you know, ring people and send out an email to everybody and just listing out little things that everybody did in some small way or big way to make the event a success. So I guess the bottom line here is that, you know, it's all about them. So, you know, mm. if you put yourself in the shoes of your committee 
and you think about where they are in their age and stage of life and all the busy lives that we have and the careers that, you know, in volunteer world people are running businesses, is to, you know, always remember that thank you goes a long way. I love it. I love that. And it is, it's simple things, isn't it? Like you said, it's common sense. And I think yeah. that, yeah, and, and I, it made me think back to your suggestion of a checklist as well. And I feel like some of those things, you know, like just because when things can get a little bit overwhelming and, and quite busy in the event planning stages, we can sometimes forget about those little things. So I think that's where, you know, if it is noting down birthdays or, you know, just making sure you've got some of those key dates and if there is ever those opportunities to just recognise the volunteers or the team behind the event, then you really need to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So important. Terribly, terribly important. Just a smiley face on someone's desk. I'll, I'll never forget that little tip I learned when running a business. You just put it there. And people, mm. it just the simplest little thing, a smiley face on a little piece of paper, you know, post-it note, stuck on their desk, computer, whatever, it's just out of the blue and people will go, it just make and people smile. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, let me move now to the fun conversation of finance. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's always tough when you go, oh, my God, we've got to manage budgets. Yes, right. We are really running a business here. I know events, a lot of people, you know, get involved in events because they're fun and, you know, mm, lots of energy yeah. and creativity, yeah, yeah, which is absolutely yeah. right. My belief is that we still need to look at them as a business because costs are not going away. Uh, and, you know, the financial viability of a lot of events in regional parts of Australia tends to be a big ongoing challenge. And I'd love to know, Janie, in terms of your event, obviously I'm not wanting any great detail around finances, but I'm always looking for creative ideas to build revenue streams for events, you know, because we often go to grant funding and sponsorship and ticketing. Yeah. Yep. Merchandise is another one. And they're all fantastic opportunities for events. But have you got any or have you seen any other out-of-the-box kind of creative ideas around raising revenue for events? Yeah, this is a really interesting and tricky area, I think. I I have, again, no magic bullet here. But when I was thinking about this question, Linda, I one thing that popped into, a couple of things popped into my mind. So when we did our first strategic planning when I took over as president, What came out of that was some fantastic ideas, but one of them was Friends of the Festival. It's a membership program and it's fledgling, but we are putting more and more effort into it. It's like, and while it's not a, you know, fun, it's not a financial sort of out of the box idea, but I'm going to share a little event that we had recently And it's partly also a story about knowing your community and knowing how to partnership. I've got a couple of stories, actually. So the first one is in October, we have here in Marunda, where I am here in the Upper Hunter, the world's best gin. And I'm not skiting out of turn here. They would. Oh, now you've got my attention. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know. Who likes it? (laughs) Magpie gin. For anybody in regional areas. Hey, I'm going to look that up. 
Yep, make a trip to Marundi because it's worth coming for award, world award-winning gin, magpie gin. So there's a lovely couple and they have come from Sydney and other refugees, lots of them up here, and they've got corporate experience. So they're running and set up and running a fantastic gin distillery. And so with a little brainstorming we had, we came up this work for our members. We want our members to feel special and loved. And so we decided we'd have a member get member event. So if you're a member, friend of the festival, you bring a member. You know, you bring a friend, sorry, you bring a friend and they might sign up and, in fact, they did on the day. So we had an afternoon G&T. So, and we had an emerging writer who had written a book called The Magpie Wing, Max Easton <laughs> from, yep, so we had Magpie, Magpie, and would you believe during the afternoon a magpie arrived and sat on the fence? Of course it did, yeah. Of course it did. So <laughs> it was, and that it was, you know, we could only have 30, I think the maximum was 34 people, and I think we actually had about 36. It was a bit squashy inside for the actual conversation with the author. But that created a huge buzz and the feedback we got was absolutely sensational because it's the most sensational venue, the service. It just worked like clockwork. So it's about, for me, it's been creative about, and also we use that to promote the Patrick White oration, which was happening one month later. And as a result, we got immediate bookings for the Patrick White oration one month later. So that was one thing. One other thing that we did during the drought when I my first year as, as the interim president was the worst drought ever and we were actually thinking we'd, instead of having the festival, we'd do some major fun, you know, we'd just throw some money at, you know, the, the drought, who would want to come in the middle of the drought. And then we got a bit, you know, we tossed around a few ideas and we came up with the idea of a bush poet's breakfast. And whilst it's not another revenue stream because we've made it our fundraising event and people come along to the bush poet's breakfast just because it's the bush poet's breakfast. It's early. It's at 7 a.m., 7.30 on a Sunday morning, yet we get, you know, we've had 90, 100 people just show up for breakfast for that and again it has and people have gone oh we like this it's given them a taste of the festival and so then you know they come in and they next time around they buy a full weekend package or a day's package so for me it's about that little extra level of creativity of thinking of ways to reward your ambassador, well, we're going to start an ambassador's program, but your very, your fans, you know, your fans make your festival mm. work. And so that's why we have the Friends of the Festival, the Bush Poets Breakfast. I think we'd actually now be uh, lynched if it wasn't, if it didn't happen. <laughs> it's become such a, a popular item that, you know, we have people pitching us now to be part of it. And our third thing which was an idea that, again, came out of one of our strategic planning, was a farmer short story writing competition. And that is sponsored, but it brings in a whole new element of people into our festival. And farmers love yarning and telling stories. 
So we've given them an opportunity to put that into writing and we're going to extend it into audio as well now because um, it's been a huge success, absolutely extraordinary calibre of writing and we'll be moving to our third year soon. Whilst it's not a revenue raising, it is a byproduct is revenue raising, mm. uh, you know, mm. because we get a whole new exposure of people who come just along to hear, you know, the farmer's short stories being recited at the Bush Poets Breakfast. So that are some of the things. One yeah, wonderful. Tip, one tip, just then, and I'll stop talking. As you can probably hear, I'll talk under wet cement, Linda. Um, <laughs> I love it. It's great. You used, yeah, so is that... On our ticketing page, we have a box for donations and that brings us in revenue. We, ah. uh, of course, it's on our on our front page of the website, but it's not particularly prominent at the moment. But having that little extra box is amazing. One of our young members of the committee a couple of years ago said, why don't we have a donation, you know, box on our ticketing? And we all went, oh, hadn't thought about that. That's a good idea. And mm. we just got an extra $250 in the first year just by having that simple little step in your ticketing. Wow. So, Janie, you mentioned just before we started recording this podcast and we were chatting, you mentioned just briefly about DGR status. Is that something that you're doing for the event and is that going to provide opportunity to look at other revenue-raising opportunities yes. for the event? Absolutely. So DGR stands for Deductible Gift Recipient Status. It's a prestigious and hard one. Yeah. (laughs) Rigorous process, Mm. very rigorous process. You have to actually be a registered charity before you can even be considered for DGR status. But, and it's a Mm. big but, it opens the doors to massive fundraising. So, for example, let's just say, there is a major, I don't know, in Toowoomba, the, you know, the biggest business in Toowoomba making a nice amount of money and they decide to give a Toowoomba-based business $50,000 or $100,000, immediately they can write off 50% of that donation. Yeah, yeah. So we've got some big, look, we are literally a signature away from receiving that status. We've had, you know, um, our patron, we're very, that's another good idea. Have a patron. Find somebody really big, well-known yeah. that is that is actually linked in some way to the mission of your organisation. For example, we stand for the love of words and our patron is Philip Adams, one of Australia's living treasures. You know, Philip Adams as in, you know, national broadcaster and he's made films and major advertising campaigns called Australia Home, The Flying Kangaroo, to name it. So Philip Adams is our patron and I said, Philip, I need some help. Please, can you write a letter or two to the ministers, you know, because he and this new Labor government. So we did and we got lots of encouraging letters back. Mm, but Yeah, know, great so one. We, we, so that will and that's when you can really get creative Mm. And really, and our and that's our next big hairy audacious goal is to have a at least a part time director. So before I step away from leading the festival and giving someone else a go, Linda, I am determined that we'll get at least a part time director. So that's on Good the cards. 
Yeah, that's on the cards yeah. for the next 12 to 18 months. So, yes, yeah, so going after DGR status or, you know, well, charity status and you can raise funds through another umbrella body. So absolutely, I would encourage organisations to look into that. It's not for the faint-hearted and you have to have very mm. robust systems in place. And it does mean you actually write some really good policy documents. Mm. So I'd encourage people to look, you know, if you feel Great. like you've got a future and you're establishing what's our next big step, then that particularly in regional areas and you, you play a major role in a community and it's just, you know, you've achieved a certain level of prestige and status in your community, it will add to your status and prestige in that community. Fantastic. Good one. Jamie, just a couple of quick ones. So how do you keep the event fresh every year? So I'm wanting you to share with us one practical tip that you use to ensure that the event every single year remains relevant and fresh. First one is have a theme. Yeah, great. Simple, right? Yeah, very simple. And then you can attach your, so for us, we're a literary festival, so we have and our theme for 2023 is storylines. And if you think about the storyline, it's people go First Nations, but it's actually the storyline behind anything, really. It's the narrative. So that allows you to do more efficient programming, you know, because you've got, does that fit the theme? And so that's one thing, have a theme, keeps you fresh. I've talked a lot about this already, Linda, but I'm going through, repeat it again, the best way of doing it is coming together, doing your strategic planning and doing some good old-fashioned brainstorming and making it fun because, yes. as you say in your regional academy, 15%, you know, add mm. that 15%. Well, I didn't realise that's what we did, but we did. So each yeah. year, we've, you know, we've gone, are we inclusive enough? So we've reached out to retirement homes now and we do a free bush poets morning tea at the retirements home in our area we've partnered with the cwa and we do a literary lunch with them and we make it pretty they cook they're very good at cooking and provide a fabulous <laughs> meal and we provide you know some interesting authors and i know again that has influenced the funding and representation at council for us because we're going to areas they can't go to <laughs> So they love us because we're independent, we meet our KPIs and we create events that make them look very, very good. So, mm. again, it's your brainstorming, it's looking for that extra 10 or 15% and never being afraid, Linda, to throw something away if it's tired. Oh, yes. And I think that's something, you know, events often fall into that trap, don't they, where they're like, we've, but we've been doing this for so long. You know, we can't let it go, you know, or it's something that, you know, an important person in the community, you know, developed many years ago. We can't let it go. But you're right. You've got to be bold enough to say, you know what, this is no longer relevant to the needs and expectations of the people that love our event. So, and you don't, yeah. we all know we don't have the resources, the human resources or the financial resources to continue to do everything. So, I love that you keep referring to strategic planning and brainstorming and because that to me is so critical for events to do every year and they have to be critical. They have to look at the event and go what worked, what didn't and if things aren't working and they're not giving the return 
that you're looking for, then it is time to flip them. It's time to go, you know what, let's move that out or maybe it's not move it out. Maybe it's let's refresh it. Let's have a look at it and refresh Mm -hmm. it and remodel it and and create something new and exciting. And that's also the expectation I'm, you know, having been done your fabulous course, Linda, uh, the the immersive experience. You know, if you think about, you know, what audience are you attracting again? It's all about them. So what will bring them wanting more or bringing in, you know, younger audience or whatever? It's the immersive experience of whatever you're doing. Uh, I think it's really important. But and the expectations too, thanks to COVID, and it's a good thanks to COVID, is streaming. You know, the, the technology that is around for us in regional Australia now is actually getting better and better and better, and it's who you partner with as well. Uh, we'll be streaming for the first time in 2023, and we've partnered with Streaming House that is a fantastic regional success story. They're based in East Maitland and they do global events. I mean, they are serious success story. And they were so keen to support us because that's, again, knowing the interests of the people you're working with. He happens to have led a regional theatre. He writes. He's a bit of a poet. So, you know, it's a no-brainer for him to support us. And I know he'll go beyond the tiny budget he's been given to stream for us. But that's the expectation. I mean, we were already asked uh, a couple of events that, we had this year, will it be streamed? So you can change and mix up and get hybrid and creative. Mm, absolutely. Instead of going, you know, oh, it's so easy to go, oh, we can't do it, you know, the floods are here. Oh, we can't do it because it's got to be face-to-face. Well, I'm sorry. That is a very poor excuse as far as I'm concerned these days. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, now tell me, what is an exceptional event experience that you've had, Janie? I probably talked a little bit about them already. I think (laughs) that, you know, our magpie gin with the magpie wing author, a book was, you know, fun. And And the visiting magpie. Uh, Yeah, the visiting magpie. I mean, (laughs) and we, and one of our committee members who's extraordinarily creative made a bookmark of paper and, you know, with like, you know, words on it in the shape of a feather. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so everybody walked away with that. It's just, even, you know, just by being at a special exclusive members event. But I think the best example I can give you of that is the Patrick White oration. So Patrick White from the famous White family of Beltree's fame, huge um, used to be, but of course, like a lot of rural properties are smaller these days. But Beltree's has been in the White family for forever. And Patrick White, you know, Mount Strait is only Nobel laureate to date. So again, um, strategic planning will, it had been held in, in once only within the festival. We decided to take it out and make it a standalone event and that we would ask the orator, the special guest speaker, to speak on a contemporary issue in Australia that you might have a bit of a social justice element to it. You know, would you know, go into Patrick White's background and he was outspoken on, on a lot of social issues. 
and it's got to be something contemporary in Australia. And we have had exceptionally expiring uh, speakers. So the first standalone event we had Christoph Chalakas. I'm not quite sure how to say his, you know, his name properly, but Christos, who, who could potentially be our next Nobel laureate, and he spoke about Australia and how and what it meant to be Australian and when he's of Greek origin and sometimes he felt like he didn't want to be Australian anymore. He was embarrassed because, you know, the way we were treating certain elements of Australian society, that was controversial. We wanted to inspire robust discussion through the love of words. So he was. Then the next one we had was General Sir Peter Cosgrove. And, again, we put our event into match the speaker's likely topic and their background with the venue. So General Sir Peter Cosgrove, former Governor-General, but more importantly head of the armed forces in Australia, he was in an aircraft hangar surrounded by old fighter planes, you know, some spitfires and things from World War One. So that, again... And he spoke about Republic, Australia becoming a Republic. He studied Voss, one of Patrick White's most famous novels at, at Duntroon, and talked a little bit about Patrick White. Everybody has to have talk a little bit about Patrick White, but use that as a platform to talk about something that will spark debate and just spark really good and robust conversation. And certainly Sir Peter did very surprisingly, was very candid about republicanism and, and what he thought Australia should do and what he would have done if he'd been Sir John Kerr. So that sort of, you could have heard a pin drop. And then just a couple of weeks ago, we had Wendy McCarthy, you know, who's probably done more to change the lives of Australian women than any other person ever in Australia. I and mean, she's got, you know, a businesswoman, an activist and a change agent extraordinaire, now 81, but look, you know, but sprightly as. And she gave a very inspiring, exceptional talk about the importance of education and the difference between a sort of a profession and a, a career and a job and what that meant for women. And the feedback we get for that event is words like inspirational word and mm. it's fantastic you we have people of this caliber in regional areas which is also the feedback linda we got from our magpie gin magpie wing magpie of the fence little g and t afternoon uh, people the feedback we got it's exceptional to have such an event in such a tiny regional area so those sorts of events that we've created speak to inspiration, punching above our weight in small rural communities. So it's about, again, being thinking outside the box and just having a bit of fun. Yeah, yeah, and being bold enough to do something that's a little bit different, you know, yes, I think. Yes. And I think that's the thing. I, I love how you say, you know, the, well, I kind of love and hate that there's those comments about, oh, well, it's amazing to see these things in oh, small yes. regional areas because you think, yeah. well, we can do it. I think, yeah. there's, you know, we need to change that yep. perception yep. that we just do kind of markets and sideshow alleys. You know, in regional Australia, we have such amazing, talented people in our communities that we mm. can, you know, embrace to deliver exceptional experiences through our festivals and events. So good Absolutely. on you for, for doing yeah. that. Look, yeah. Janie, I could talk to you for hours, <laughs> but I do need to wrap up. But before I do, I've got one more quick question for you. You're so full of knowledge and this is fantastic. You've given so many great tips and 
you know, insights and inspiration to other event organisers. But my final question is, what would be a recommended resource that you would suggest to other event organisers? I chuckle a little bit because, you know, I think about that and I think about who's on my committee and I think about the resources because it's, it's, isn't it, there's a saying that goes, it's not who's in the room, it's who is in the room who knows other people. So mm-hmm. for me, it is about understanding people's interests, potentially their connections, and that's your greatest resource right there is the tentacles in the community. And if you're a truly community-minded and community-run event, then knowing your community and knowing how to reach out to your community and having good working relationships, collaborative relationships is the most important thing in running successful events, Mm -hmm. particularly in regional and rural Australia because it's a community and it takes a village to put on an event. Love it. Absolutely. Build those relationships, create the networks, And that's a really good segue, actually, to a Facebook group that um, I established a couple of years ago, because that's the idea of that is, you know, I I also encourage event organisers to go beyond their own community as well. And I know in in regional Australia, you know, travel and distance, et cetera, are often barriers for us to be involved in, you know, networking events and opportunities to build relationships. But Yeah, we have a Facebook group, you know, Regional Events Hub, it's called. So it's a free online platform. And the idea of that is just to allow events to connect, to share knowledge, to, you know, support one another. So that's a space where people share information, you know, they'll support other events. They'll ask questions, you know, if an event's challenged with something, they'll say, hey, I'm looking for some help around XYZ and other events will jump in and support them. So I'm always so positively blown away with how people in the events industry are so willing to share, so willing to share. And I think that's just beautiful. You know, it's this very, you know, creative industry that we just seem to support one another and and always open to share and inspire others to do more and improve what they're doing. Uh, absolutely. And Facebook has been fabulous for us. I mean, we don't have a, a, a Facebook group per se, but we do have, we are active on Facebook and we have a, you know, we've built up our fan base. <laughs> and I think Facebook is great. And I, and I think the example you've just given of the Facebook group is fabulous and very worthwhile. So Facebook is, we might love it, we might hate it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it is a resource and I think we can use it to great advantage. Absolutely. Janie, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's been excellent to to have you to be able to pick your brain on all things events. So thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Thank you, Linda. There you go. Another great chat with an event expert. I hope you have been absolutely inspired by our friend, Janie. Make sure you check out other episodes in the podcast for great inspiration 
fantastic insights and thought-provoking conversations on best practice event management in regional communities.